Churches and all followers of Christ are fully dependent on God's Word in order to carry out God's purposes. Sadly, however, many Christians either don't read God's Word regularly or don't know how to understand it rightly. Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. As always, you can find thousands of more gospel-centered, nations-minded resources at our website, Radical.net. In this message from Psalm 8, David Platt gives us a helpful tool for getting the most from our time in God's Word. In order to be a faithful disciple and in order to make disciples, every follower of Christ is encouraged to meditate on and memorize the Word, apply the Word, pray the Word, and share the Word. Here's David with a sermon titled, By Making Disciples and Multiplying Churches, from Psalm 8. Last week, I took the first Psalm, Psalm 1, and tried to give an example of what meditation on God's Word looks like using that acrostic that's in your notes, maps, M for meditate, memorize, A, apply, P, pray, and S, share. But even last week, we were going pretty quickly through that time in God's Word, and by the end, I felt like I had successfully scribbled all over the screen and written a bunch of words that you couldn't actually see um, in a way that... Well, I want this to be helpful. One of my kids, uh, after that time Sunday, said, Dad, uh, he was really diplomatic about it. He's like, it was, it was, it was helpful um, hearing you share all that stuff. But like, really, when I opened my Bible, uh, I just don't know how to do whatever you were doing up there. And uh, I appreciated his honesty. And no matter how young or old you might be, like, that's where I want to I wanna help you when you open the Bible alone to be ex- able to experience intimacy with God. And not just alone, in a small group, like I put at the top of your notes today, our mission statement as a church, we glorify God, which is what we talked about last week. We worship and praise God. We wanna represent God as admirable and awesome. So how do we do that? We do that by making disciples and multiplying churches among all nations, beginning in greater Washington, D.C. And I italicize that middle part because I want you to think with me about how spending time in God's word makes that a reality. I put at the top of your notes there a guaranteed promise. So here's the guarantee, the promise. God's word, the Bible, does and will do supernatural work. Like reading, studying, meditating on, hearing this word. Let me just read off a list that summarizes what this word does. God's word changes lives, revolutionizes marriages, transforms relationships, makes disciples, multiplies churches, affects communities, mends hearts, heals hurts, provides peace, compels love, and produces eternal joy. And I'm really just getting started there. Let me give you an example of this. Last week, all we did during this time in our worship gathering was open up Psalm 1 and Read it and think together about what it means. Like that was it. It's pretty simple. And one woman visiting here, it was her second time at NBC. I won't go into all the details of her story, but she has sought happiness in all sorts of things in this world. But this world has left her and her two young kids hurting to the point where she has wondered if she wants to continue living. But last week, she simply heard Psalm 1 about full, lasting happiness in God through Jesus. And she immediately went back to the baptism area after the service, talked with somebody, and she put her faith in Jesus. And I want you to hear, I want you to hear her summary of her story in her own words before she was baptized. Watch this with me. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Emily De La Cruz. My life was a happy once that I thought it's completely happy, but I was wrong. I can say I forgot Jesus to be part of my life, everyday life, because I thought my life was completed already. But today, I heard that Jesus died for me, paid my penalty because we are all sinners. I believe that I received the gift of eternal life today. And today, I confess in the church and to all the world that Jesus Christ is my lawyer and my savior. 
Amen. Like, how did that happen? God's, God's word did that. God's word met Emily right where she was and changed her life. And don't miss the picture when our lives and our hearts are changed by God's word, it changes everything about us, which is why I put God's word revolutionizes marriages. When we're loving our spouse according to God's word, God's word transforms all kinds of relationships, affects communities. I think about one village I spent time in in India that had never heard God's word, the gospel, the good news of God's love in Jesus. They worshiped all kinds of different gods and spirits. Everybody lived in fear of what this God or that spirit might do, which affected the way they related to each other. But then someone came, shared God's word, the good news of God's love. And to quote exactly from somebody in that village, one person said to me, our village was like hell until we heard about Jesus. And they began to talk about how marriages had changed and just the whole culture of community had changed based on God's word. God's word affects communities, men's hearts, heals hurts, provides peace, compels love, produces joy. Like I could keep going there. But you go back to the middle and I put God's word makes disciples and multiply churches because our mission as a church to lead people to know Jesus as disciples, to gather together with other disciples in churches that are multiplying. How do you do that? Well, God's word does that work. Sometimes I hear somebody say, well, I don't really know how to make disciples. The answer is sit down with somebody, open up God's word, read and study it together, and it will do the work. It does the work. This is why we say in church planning, in every church we start, the most important thing that a church does is read and study God's word together because it will do the work. But here's the challenge. What I've called in your notes there, a serious problem. The serious problem is that many, maybe most, Christians either don't read or don't know how to study God's word. And I could give you all kinds of data at this point that supports this. The title of one research article was Americans are fond of the Bible but don't actually read it. And I'm concerned that the same could be said not just about Americans in general but Christians and church members. Or if we do read it, we don't actually know how to study and understand it. This has to be one of the most glaring voids in the church that so many people don't know how to experience God's word on their own. And my point in sharing this is not to make you feel bad if that's you. My point is to say, well, what we saw last week, that full lasting happiness is found in meditating on God's word. So I don't want to like call you to feel bad. I want to call you to pursue happiness. Like, I want that for you. I'm assuming you want that for you. I'm assuming you want all these things, healthy marriages, relationships, hearts, healing for your hurts, peace that transcends circumstances, love that transforms the lives of people around you, joy that never, ever, ever ends. And God's word does all those things. So I'm looking at Psalm 1 last week and I'm seeing blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his or her delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he or she meditates day and night and I'm thinking I want to help you do that. No matter who you are, how young or old you are, what your background is, what your life is like now, like I want to help you do this. So today, for the next few minutes, I want to take another psalm and I want to lead us in a time of reading and studying God's word in a way that I pray will help you do the same thing tomorrow morning when you wake up or tomorrow night before you go to bed or maybe both, day and night. To use this acrostic maps that's in your notes to experience happiness and joy and peace and life in God's word. Do you want these things? If not, then tune out the next few minutes and ignore God's word tomorrow. But if you want these things, then let's walk through this word over the next few minutes, really dive into it, and then let's do this again tomorrow on our own and the next day and the next day. And here's the deal. I know not everybody here in this room and other campuses right now is a Christian. Some of you are visiting with friends or family members. Maybe you're just exploring Christianity. And I am 
We are so glad you're here. And I wanna invite you to participate with us in this time. So we're actually gonna have time in a minute where we pause and do a little study on our own. And you don't have to be a Christian to do this, to read what the Bible is saying. Anybody can do this. So I put Psalm 8 in your notes so that you can write and circle and underline, make all kinds of notes in it. So let's start. Let's start by praying. So whether together or alone, we always want to pause and ask God to open our eyes and our hearts to see and understand his word. This is a supernatural activity. This is not just reading the news. This is not just, uh, you know, just scrolling through whatever social media outlet. Like this is... We are hearing from God. So, so let's pray. Oh God, we praise you for your word. I praise you that you've not left us alone in the dark about who you are, about how to experience life to the full. Every one of us in this gathering, I'm pretty sure I can speak for everyone, we want life to the full. So we pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to hear from you. Help us to understand what your word is saying. And we pray that even over the next few minutes, it would do all these things, that it would change lives. It would do what it did in Emily's life and 16 others who were baptized last week. It would change lives and it would affect marriages and relationships and bring peace and hope and life and joy through your word over the next few minutes. Let me pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's, let's, re let's read Psalm 8 out loud together. So it'll be up here on the screen. Let's read it out loud here in this room and at other campuses all at the same time. Here we go. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. All right, so here's what I want us to do before I say anything else. I wanna give you just a couple of minutes on your own to do this first M in maps. Just meditate, meaning ask the question, what is this passage saying? And I wanna encourage you to circle, underline, make notes, about what it says. For example, look for anything the psalm might repeat that would clue us in to the theme of the psalm. Look for words or phrases that repeat. Then just think about different phrases, kind of isolate a phrase. Like, what does that, what is that saying, this phrase right here that seems particularly important, the meaning of the psalm? And then as you make notes about what the passage is saying, think about what it means. So ask, what is this passage teaching about who God is? What is this passage teaching about who we are? I'll stop there. That's more than enough for a few minutes. So underline, circle, draw, write out some notes. So this is audience participation. Uh, you're kind of getting engaged right now, just trying to understand what it's saying. Again, invite everybody to do this. And after a couple of minutes, then I'll kind of bring us back together. So we'll have a little background music. You just spend some time 
meditating on the word by asking these questions. Go for it. All right, let me bring us, bring us back together. Hopefully at this point you've, you've seen some different things, made some notes. So, so let, me, let me start with this question. Did you notice anything that this psalm repeats that might clue us into the main point of the psalm? So this one, this one hopefully was pretty obvious. Uh, well, I don't wanna say that because then you like feel bad if you didn't see it. But like the first verse and the last verse are the same. So if you're like, oh, then that's great because you were like really focused on something else, which is wonderful. But so clearly when we, when we get to the first verse and we see, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then we see that at the very end, that should clue us in. It's like bookends, like, okay, that seems to be a primary theme. So let's just camp out on this verse for a minute. Let's look. Oh, Lord, our Lord. Now, do you notice anything unusual there? Do, does Lord the first time and Lord the second time look the same or different? They look different. So, okay. And other campuses, obviously, I can't hear your reply, but go ahead and reply. We'll have this dialogue, and I'll assume that something's happening there. So, uh, so Lord and Lord, you'll notice You've got capital L, small caps O-R-D the first time. Then you got capital L, lowercase O-R-D the second time. So there's a reason for that. Here's the deal. I really want to minimize the things that I mentioned here that I, that I know because I've spent more time studying this in the last like three minutes um, because I really want you to see how you can do this on your own. But at a couple of points, I'm gonna point out a couple of things you may not know just from reading it. But actually that leads me to a side note. I wanna encourage you, if you don't already have one, to get a study Bible that you can use in your time in God's word. So a study Bible is basically a Bible. It's got text and then it's got notes at the bottom that will draw your attention to particular things that you may not know about certain words or phrases that may help, may help make connections with other verses in the Bible, which is really helpful. So you can buy a hard copy, like you can download one online, just a digital copy. The one I would recommend is the ESV study Bible. So English Standard Version, that's the translation we use most every week in here. It has a great study Bible that goes with it. ESV study Bible, just great notes. But there's other ones that are also great. I would just encourage you, either that one or another one will be really helpful for you getting out of God's word so much more. So with that said, back to the passage here, and I hope what I'm about to tell you will actually be a helpful piece of information you can store away reading all throughout the Old Testament. So it was written in Hebrew. Every time you see the word Lord in capital L, small caps, O-R-D, that is the most common name for God and his relationship with his people. It's the word in the Hebrew, it's Yahweh. So yeah, I'm not expecting you to know Hebrew just from reading over the last couple of minutes, but this is Yahweh. It's the name for God. When you think about Exodus chapter three, when God's people were slaves in Egypt and Moses is gonna go to deliver them out of slavery and God says, go. And Moses said, who will I tell them sent me? And God says, tell them I am sent you. I am who I am. That's what Yahweh means. I am who I am. I'm the one who is, is, was, always will be. And it's a picture of his love in providing for his people, his like commitment to deliver his people out of slavery. All that is summed up in Yahweh. So whenever you see small caps, O-R-D, you'll know it's Yahweh. When you see, most of the time, when you see capital L, lowercase O-R-D, that's actually a different word. That is the word Adonai which basically means like the sovereign one or the king. The, maybe a, a way to, to put this, kind of compare the two, Adonai or Yahweh is the actual name of God. Adonai is more like a title for God. So if you were to think like a king, King Edward. King is his title, Edward's his name. So that's the relationship here. When you see capital L, lowercase R-D, that's talking about God's authority as king, his title, his position in that way, his name is Yahweh. So now you put that together and the psalmist starts by saying, oh Lord, so speaking to him and his name represents his love for his people. 
the fact that he was and is and is to come, our Lord, our King. So he's not just, I love this, he's not just the Lord, he's our Lord. So this is where if, if I'm reading this alone, I'm just, and we are four words in. And when you think maps, meditate, apply, pray, share, don't think, okay, that's step one, then step two, step three, step four. This kind of all happens at once. So you don't have to wait till you've went through the whole psalm, meditated, ask all these questions, then pray later. Like, oh Lord, our Lord, I just pause. And you start to praise God for you're the one who was and is and is to come. And you are, you're not just the Lord, you are my Lord. You're my king in my life. Like at this point, like pull out a song and just put it on iTunes and, and start worshiping before God. Like you are the Lord, my Lord, and how majestic is your name in all the earth. Your name. Think about the way Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your what? Your name in all the earth. So this is, you see how? Okay, just like, God, your name is majestic in all the earth, so make your majesty known in all the earth. You start to pray. Like I start just reflecting, meditating on that verse, I start uh, praying for my kids. Like God, help them to see the majesty of your name. Help them to stand in awe of you. I pray that my kids would have a, a fear and a reverence for you. They would not, not have a low view of you. They would have a high view of you. God, I pray that you'd make your majesty known amongst my friends, family, neighbors, co-workers. Like, make your majesty known. Make your majesty known in the city. Lord, I pray for your majesty made known in Washington, D.C. And your majesty be made known among the nations, the Panika people in India, over a million in this people group. So this is unreached to the day, just a simple app that I use most every day. Like the Panika people, the praying for them this morning, over a million of them, 0.0% followers of Jesus. Jesus, make your name known as glorious among the Panika people in India. And you see how the first verse, just soaking it in, it's, it's nothing, obviously we talked about Yahweh and Adonai, but even not knowing that, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Like we're not speed reading through the Bible, just pause and praise and worship and ask God for things based on what we're reading. We gotta we got move on quicker. We've got made it, not even through a verse. All right, so keep going. You have set your glory, your glory above the heavens. So, you have set your glory above the heavens. Let's think about that. Like above the heavens, beyond what we can see in ways we can't even imagine, you set your glory now. Did anybody notice that this word glory is repeated another time in the psalm? Shout it out if you know what verse. Verse five. So you might put a square, circle, something around glory there and then jump to verse five and you'll see crowned with glory glory and honor. So this is interesting. Here in verse one, heavens is where your glory is, above the heavens, beyond what we can see. Verse five, there's a glory that's actually a different picture. So let, we won't jump to verse five yet. Let's just kind of hold that in our heads that we got different pictures of glory in the psalm. Let's keep going to verse two. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. So what in the world does that mean? And I'll go ahead and tell you, there's a lot of difficulty about understanding that verse. So I'm not sure exactly what it means. Uh, there's a few different ideas about how it fits into the overall point of the psalm. But that's why I mentioned earlier, like if you don't, whenever you, you come across something you don't understand or that's unclear, like keep focusing on that which is clear. And then the more you focus on that which is clear, it's gonna help you understand better the unclear. So we don't wanna get too caught up here. What do we know is clear from this? Well, let's think about it. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength. So God's strength, his power are somehow evident in the mouths of babies and infants. So even little babies who could do nothing but babble are in some sense a picture of God's strength and power, which I think makes sense to anyone in this room who 
seen, contemplated, contemplated the miracle of birth. Just you look at a baby come from a mother's womb. It is a picture of the power of God on display. And then one other thing. So you got God's strength power on display in the mouths of babies and infants. And then another thing that's clear is that God has foes, his enemies, the avenger. So don't, don't read Iron Man into this or anything like that. It's not what the Bible's talking about. But you've got foes, enemies, avengers who are opposed to God. And this psalm is saying, what will happen to them? They will be stilled. So the foes, enemies, those who oppose God will be stilled. Okay, so we know that from the psalm. Now, how does it all fit in? Well, let's keep going. Verse three. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. Oh, that's a good verse. Like, think about it. When I look at your heavens, which he describes later as the moon and the stars. All right, look at your heavens, the moon and the stars. And he describes the heavens, the moon and the stars as, what a great phrase, the work of your fingers. They're the work of your, I look at the moon and the stars, they're the work of your fingers, like your artwork. I think about that. Like, let me show you my artwork. It's about the best I can do here. There we go, I can do a person. Uh, I can do a house, uh, windows, door, chimney, chimney, smoke, snow, snow coming down outside the house. So, all right, so I'm guessing some of you could do better than this, but, uh, well, let me show you what God can do. Boom. God can, God can do that. Like, that's the work of his fingers. He didn't just draw it. He, like does it. He like speaks and there it is. This is from my most recent trip up in the Himalayas. Here's one. Here's a time lapse one night. So this happened above me at night. Watch this. Watch, watch, watch. Did you see that? I'm going to circle it and then show it again. Like look right around there. Watch this. Watch this. It's like the smoke. <laughs> like God did that. That was the work of his fingers. Like, boop. And all those stars shooting, that was the work of his fingers. This is a picture of when that happened. Not a doctored picture. Like, that is the picture. So, so we... we Think about this. Like, this is the work of God's fingers. God set all those stars in place. We've talked about this before. Like, scientists tell us there are about 100 billion stars in our galaxy. Our galaxy is one of about a million galaxies that we can see with our best telescopes. Each one of those is filled with billions upon billions of other stars. And Isaiah 40 says, God brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. By his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. <laughs> Bob. <laughs> Here's Mary. <laughs> There's this one right here. It's a Q13469er. Uh, I, I, I don't know what their names are, but our God does. He knows every single one of their They're the work of his fingers. Like, like you come back, and the way it emphasizes your heavens, your fingers, you have set them in place. You do all of this. You see that repetition? It's just pointing us to, this is the work of God. This is not natural selection at work. This is supernatural creativity at work. So in light of that, so that's awesome. But then we get to verse four. Now we're ready to feel the wonder of this verse. So in light of your glory, above the heavens, in the heavens, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. 
Now think about it. This, this verse makes sense to all of us, doesn't it? Like when you see scenes like we just saw, when you stand underneath the night sky, don't you think like, who am I? Like you think about the globe, you think about seven billion people on it, and billions and billions of stars above you. It's so vast, it's so big. You just feel so small. Like you don't stand in those Himalayan mountains and just look out and be like, I feel so huge right now. Like, no. You're like, I'm so tiny, so small, so insignificant. But this is where I want you to see the wonder of this psalm because that's not what this passage is saying. It's what we might expect it to say. Like, like, heavens are so majestic. I'm so insignificant. But no, this psalm actually says the opposite. What is man, talking about mankind in verse four, so who are we that you, the God who made all these things, is, are mindful of us? The son of man, which is another way for saying man, that you, there it is again, care for us. And this is what blows the psalmist away. Not ultimately the heavens, the work of God's fingers, as astounding as that is. What's really astonishing, though, is that God is mindful of man. Like, we are what's on his mind. You and I are what's on God's mind. He's always thinking about you and me. And not just thinking about us, he's mindful of us and he cares for us, like concerned about us such that he provides for us. So the picture is, what is the psalm teaching us about who God is? He's majestic over the whole earth. His glory is above the heavens. The work of his fingers is all over the heavens. And in all of his glory, he thinks about you and me. And he cares for you and me. This is breathtaking. And it gets even more breathtaking. Verse five, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. So think about the heavenly beings. What might that be a reference to? Well, is God a heavenly being? Yes, but there's only one of him. Are angels heavenly beings? Yes. So we know this is a picture of you and me, man, made just a little lower than angels or even God himself, which sounds like an overstatement until you read this next phrase. You have crowned him. Remember Adonai, the Lord, the king? Well, he's given a crown to somebody else. Who? Man. Us. With what? Crowned with what? There it is. Glory. And honor. Glory, which we saw back up in verse one. So it's not just God's glory above the heavens. Now we see that God's glory is also on the earth. In who? In man. In you and in me. Think about it. This is not just breathtaking. This is life changing. Do you want to see the glory of God on display? Yes. Go outside at night, look up at the stars, and stand in awe. But do you know what's even easier? Look at the person sitting next to you. They are God's glory on display. You look at the people in your family. The people you work alongside. Look at the people. Look into their faces at the restaurant or the store or the gas station this week. They are God's glory on display. The Bible teaches that God has made men and women, children, down to babies and infants in his image, crowned with glory and honor. Which is why I say this is life-changing. 
Think about it. When you realize that all people are made in God's image, crowned with glory and honor, then racism and prejudice are detestable to you. You work to honor all people, no matter what they look like. Your first thought when you see someone that looks this way or that way is crowned with glory and honor. That's what goes through your mind when you believe Psalm 8. No matter where they may have immigrated from, you honor them. This transforms your view on abortion because you know that little baby in a mother's room is crowned with glory and honor. You work to protect that little baby. This compels the way you live in a world of injustice and oppression because you actually believe that every person around you and every person in the world from every nation is crowned with glory and honor. So you work for justice. You serve and stand alongside those in need. And not just when you think about other people. This is where things get all the more breathtaking, life-changing. Do you want to see the glory of God on display? Look in the mirror and realize that you are crowned with glory and honor by God himself. Look in the mirror. Realize that God, the God of the universe, His glory is above the heavens. The work of his fingers everywhere. This God is mindful of you. The God whose majesty is over all the earth. He cares about you. He's crowned you with glory and honor. Like you do not need this person, that person, this man, that woman, this boss, that authority to accept or acknowledge you in this way or that. You are crowned with glory and honor by God. You are free from the quest for the approval and applause of man. You... You stand like this before God. Like, see it contrary to what science would try to tell us. We are not created just a little higher than animals. We are created a little lower than angels, a little lower than God himself. And in this way, you have unimaginable honor and glory from God himself. Crowned with glory and honor. That's you. And you have given him. So given, God has given man dominion. Dominion, authority. The one who has all authority, the king, has given us authority to, well, authority over the works of your hands. The works of his hands and all creation, which is what verses seven and eight don't dive in there, but just from animals to fish to birds, to, the whole picture is everything in creation. God has given us dominion, authority to do what? To reflect his glory in the world around us. You say, how do you know that? Well, after talking about all creation, sheep and oxen, birds, fish, what do we come back to? Oh Lord, our Lord, How majestic is your name in all the earth. How is the majesty of God made known in all the earth? And the picture Psalm 8 has just given us is through men and women made in his image, crowned with his glory and his honor, reflecting his character, his love, his justice, his goodness in creation around them. Like through our lives, God makes his majesty known in all the earth. Through our lives, submitted to his lordship. Like this just took the purpose of your life to a whole nother level. To realize, you just think about how life-changing this is. 
Not just that you're created and crowned with honor and glory. But when you wake up tomorrow, the purpose of your life is more than just to get through the day, check off a bunch of boxes, take care of this or that, work, school, go to sleep, get up, do it again. Like, yes, there are all kinds of things to be done tomorrow. But what's the purpose of it all? The purpose of it all is you have been commissioned by the king himself to reflect his love, his justice, his integrity, his holiness, his mercy to a world around you. Like, that's what you're created, created to do. You might think, well, how can I do that? Like, with all my imperfections, how can I reflect God's glory to the world? Well, I'm glad you asked because this is the gospel. This is the good news of God's love. So in just a second, I'm gonna show you one other verse. Because yes, all right, big picture. We've seen God has created all of us, crowned with glory and honor. We are all made in his image. Yet we have all sinned against God. We've all turned aside from God's ways to our own ways. And as a result, God's image in us is marred by our sin, by thoughts, desires, words, actions that don't bring honor to God. And we are all sinners. God's image in us marred by sin. But the gospel, the good news of the Bible, and if you're not a Christian, please pay attention particularly close here. The good news of the Bible is that God has not left us alone in this state. God has come to us in form of Jesus, a perfect man crowned with glory and honor who had no sin in him whatsoever. And then even though he had no sin in him to pay any price for, to die for, he chose to die. Why? Well, you might say, where are you getting all this from Psalm 8? Well, if you have a good study Bible, it might point you to this. But there's a later book in the Bible, Hebrews, that quotes straight from Psalm 8. And I want you to read what it says. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6. It's been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You've made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. We know that's a reference to Psalm 8. Now what does it say right after this? In verse 9, listen to these words. But we who see him for a little while, well, we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. Like us, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. The whole picture here is that Jesus became like us so that he might taste death for us, for every one of us. Jesus has paid the price for all of our sin against God. And then after he died for us, he rose from the dead so that, now follow this, put it all together, anyone, anywhere who turns from sin, trusts in Jesus to save them from their sin, will be forgiven of all their sin and freed from its power in our lives that we might live according to God's good design, that we might be restored to relationship with him to live under his lordship, to reflect his character in the world around us. So you put it all together, it leads to the question that I wanna ask every single person in this room at other campuses right now. Is God your Lord? Who are you living for? Are you living for yourself? According to your own ways, your own thoughts, your own plans, your own desires? Or are you living in submission to God as Lord? And the good news of the Bible and the good news that I have for you today is that 
He loves you, cares for you. You are on his mind and he desires you to experience full life according to his design under his lordship. So, if that's not the case, I want to invite you to make that the case today. And if it is, if he is your Lord, I want to invite you to open his word then and meditate on it tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and experience all that God's designed for you to experience under his lordship. So, will you bow your heads with me? Should you bow your heads and close your eyes? I, uh, I just ask you this question is, is your life right now under the lordship of God and Jesus? And if the answer to that question is not a resounding yes in your heart, then I believe, I believe God has brought you here today to draw you to himself. And I want to invite you just where you're sitting right now, just if you'd be willing just to pray, just to say to God right there in your heart, God, I, I know I am a sinner. I have lived according to my rules and my ways and my desires and my thoughts. But today I am turning from my sin and myself. And today I am trusting in you as my Lord. Today I'm trusting in Jesus and his death on the cross for my sin. I want to experience life under your lordship. So I place my faith in you today. Uh, if you just prayed that to God, I want to invite you to do something here in this room, out of the campuses. If you just prayed that before God with our heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just lift up your hand where you are as a picture of you saying yes, like, Today, I'm placing my life under the Lordship of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God, I'm, I praise you for bringing people all across this room and other campuses who can't see. You see, you know their hearts, you know their lives. And I just praise you for your love, praise you for your care, praise you for making a way for us to be forgiven of our sins, to be restored into relationship with you, to experience life according to your design. God, I pray that you would give them courage and those who may have never been baptized, courage to even today do what Emily did. 16 others last week say, yes, Jesus is my Lord to proclaim that through baptism today. And here's what I want to do before we, uh, before I close this in prayer. I want to give you just a couple of moments right where you're sitting, maybe just to pray, maybe to write out, like meditate, apply, and pray. Like how does what we just looked at in God's word affect the way you think, what you desire, and how you live? What will be different in your life as a result of what we've just seen in God's word? I want to give you an opportunity just to write that out or maybe just pray before God based on what his word has just spoken to your heart. So take a couple of minutes to do that and then I'll lead us all together in prayer. Oh God, I think about this acrostic we use, P-R-A-Y, we praise you. Your glory is above the heavens. How majestic is your name in all the earth. We worship your, your name. We glorify your name. And we praise you for the way you have made us in your image. The way you've crowned us with glory and honor. 
God, we repent. We we repent of sin in our life, the ways we have thought, desired, spoken, acted in ways that don't reflect your glory. God, please forgive us by your grace. We praise you for your forgiveness through Christ. We say to you, we want to live in a way that reflects your glory, your love, your justice, your character. So help us, we pray. We ask for your help to live our lives this week in a way that makes your majesty known, your love known, your compassion known, your justice known, your mercy known. God, we pray that you would use us this week to make your majesty known in others' lives, in our families, and places where we work, the places where we go in this community, in this city. God, we pray for the majesty of Jesus' name to be known among more and more people in Washington, D.C. and more and more people among the nations. God, we ask for this and we yield. We lay our lives before you. You are the Lord, our Lord. You are our King. We are so thankful that you're our Lord and our King. And we pray, we pray that you would lead and guide our lives this week. Help us to meditate on your word day and night, day and night. And help us to grow more and more into the image of Jesus, into the life that you've designed for us to live through your word. Please may it be so. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us today on Radical with David Platt. As always, if you would like to download the sermon or the discussion questions that accompany every sermon, you can do that and more all at our website, Radical.net. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for Secret Church 20, God, Government, and the Gospel. That will be held April 24th of this year in Washington, D.C. Of course, you can always live stream it from anywhere in the world. So we encourage you to sign up at secretchurch.org and join us for Secret Church 20. That's all for today's episode. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. And until next time, join us there at Radical.net.